Let's do that hockey. All right, you're listening to Dauber Prospects Radio Podcast. This will be episode 84, I think now. I just did one with Yoki Nevalainen <laughs> on the top European free agents coming over to the NHL and some 2020 European NHL draft prospects. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And now this episode is going to be dedicated towards NCAA free agents. So I'm joined by um, Joe Maloney from College Hockey News. And we're going to be talking about college players that have signed their contracts and are turning pro. Uh, So we're going to break this down into two categories. The previously undrafted, unaffiliated free agent signings. Um, which this year sounds like it might be a bit on the weaker side, Joe tells me. And then we're also going to talk about some NHL drafted prospects that have been percolating in college and have now signed their contracts. And there's a couple pretty prominent names on that list to talk about. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Anything to uh, talk about hockey these days is certainly a welcome distraction. It's hard to find good hockey conversations <laughs> right now because there is nothing happening. I know. Um, but, you know, we do what we can. Uh, <laughs> so, first of all, Joe, your Twiddle handle is uh, at Joe Maloney. Okay. And uh, you're a senior writer for College Hockey News. Yes, I've been at CHN for about a decade now. It would have been, I would have just been returning from Frozen Four number 12 had it happened. Ah, in Detroit. Yes. Uh, Right, so it's going to be hard-pressed to find someone a little bit more qualified than you to talk about these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. All right, well, we got a, a long, long list. In my show preparation, <laughs> I came up with about 40 names of mm-hmm. players uh, that fit into both categories that have uh, already signed the contract. And, of course, there'll be a few more to come out uh, yes. after we record this. Um, but we'll work with what we know. And mm-hmm. we're going to have to trim some fat. So if there's a player that you're hoping we are going to talk about uh, and didn't, uh, sorry, but reaches out on, on Twitter and ask us our opinions on them there at Joe Maloney at Farling or at DPR underscore show for the podcast. Yes. Uh, so, Joe, let's start with um, the free agent signings. So these are mm-hmm. players who do not have their NHL rights um, owned anywhere and played out their college career uh, mm-hmm. without an NHL affiliation. And now they have signed, which makes them ineligible to play for college, even if they haven't aged out and right. so they're returning pro. Um, so these are players who probably have uh, a little bit of a limited upside and they're the type of players that i target in my fantasy draft um once i get past maybe midway in the second round so my fantasy draft is pretty much consisting entirely of nhl entry draft prospects and uh european and college players who have previously not had their nhl rights owned and therefore were ineligible to be owned in my fantasy league um so these players are guys who you may not want to have too much high expectation on but what i really like about them is they're already in their mid uh early to mid 20s right right Mm -hmm. and they've played four years of development in college which is a high level hockey uh it's a little bit older than than junior Mm -hmm. and the wait time on them should be very very short i mean like i'm talking one season and you should find out if this player has nhl fantasy 
upside or not. Even yeah. if they're not in the NHL, you can tell by what they do at the AHL. Uh, if if they fit right in and they're they're scoring and producing and and playing big minutes in the AHL at 22 to 24 years old, then there's a chance and you can hold onto them. But if they struggle to produce at at the AHL level, then you don't need to wait any longer. You can cut bait right away, as right. opposed to the entry draft players who you got to sit on for five years. <laughs> All right, so. I'm not sure who the uh, the biggest and most impactful name player is going to be this year, but um, I would suggest that it would probably be one of either Mark McCallis or Connor McKay. Um, is there another name in there that should be considered as one of the potential top players? I think for the free agent class this year, as we discussed, it, it was a relatively weak class in terms of guys who are going to jump right in. I, I do think Drew O'Connor, who's a, a two-year player at Dartmouth, he left after his sophomore year. He had a big season this year, moving from wing to center. Uh, for you know, kind of a mediocre Dartmouth team, I'd say they were kind of right in the middle in terms of the 60 teams that play Division One men's hockey. Um, scored a lot of goals, big body, um, and he's a player who you know the Pens jumped right on, and that leads me to believe that they were relatively hot on him. You know, he's a, a player who had a good freshman year and then became an All-American this season at Dartmouth. Just scored a lot of goals for a team that doesn't generate a lot of offense. He was really the only reason that they were, you know, even considered, you know, a top 15, 20 team at any point in the season. Um, as I said, he has experience playing either forward or center. And the Penguins have demonstrated an ability to kind of, you know, get the best out of players who a lot of people had given up on. I mean, you look at their roster right now, whether it's the, their, you know, whether you look at the middle six or the bottom six, or their forward groups, it's, you know, they're loaded with college players that either they're the team that drafted them gave up on uh, or if, uh, or, or players who they kind of plucked out of nowhere. When you, when, when you talk about roster Gensel, players like that, and Drew O'Connor is a player who has a lot of talent, a lot of skill. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Penguins get the best out of him uh, pretty quickly. Okay. That's very interesting. So I have, zero file on this player i I've, <laughs> I've never seen him play and mm-hmm. um quite frankly i've never heard of him um mm-hmm. but he's 21 he's six foot three so he's got some pretty good size he's yeah. a little bit old but not on the older side 21 right. is a very good prospect age right. uh, he only played two seasons in the ncaa though yeah. um posting 26 and 33 points in just over 30 games each season uh so yeah the production is there now you're way more familiar with college than I am, but I understand mm-hmm. that there are uh, the different leagues throughout the NCAA system yeah. and the quality of competition can vary from yes. league to league. And the leagues are like, what, 10 teams or something like that? Uh, but anywhere anywhere from 7 to 12, yeah. Right. Okay, so which league is, uh, is Dartmouth College um, affiliated in and um, what kind of um, tier would you say that is? Yeah, so Dartmouth plays in the ECAC. Uh, all the Ivy League teams play in the ECAC. Uh, schools like, obviously, Harvard, uh, Cornell are kind of your high-level Ivy League programs. But then beyond that, uh, Quinnipiac has produced some NHL, uh, Union College, uh, where Shane Gossesberg came from, uh, come out of that league as well. It is certainly not routinely as good as, say, um, you know, the, the NCHC, you know, where you're North Dakotas and your Minnesota Duluth player, even Hockey East. Uh, which uh, you have Boston University, Boston College, both UMass and UMass Lowell. So it is, I'd say, a step down from there. But the high-end teams in the ECAC are as good as any teams anywhere. The the step down comes more from the bottom half of the league. You know, a, a bad ECAC team is you know usually one of the worst teams uh, in the country in that kind of particular regard. But with Drew O'Connor, the, the big thing for me watching him play, and you see this a lot with bigger players, is they – he learned how to, he learned kind of how to use his body. 
you know, and he's a player who I think when he was very young was probably able to just use that size and kind of move through players. He got a little bit older um, and he kind of grew into himself and he learned that, you know, you know, having a good shot is just as good as, you know, getting to the net is good, but being able to mix your size with your skill is really what's going to say, what's going to separate you uh, from the, uh, you were really from the rest of the players because there are plenty of good play- players with good shots. There are plenty of players that are big. There aren't that many who can do both quite as well as he can. Right. Okay. So most of the players that are on this list that are free agent signees, they're either mm-hmm. late bloomers or um, depth players. You know, yeah. they, they weren't drafted for a reason. Their upside mm-hmm. is, is limited, but they might make it as a depth player in your organization, either in a bottom pairing role in the NHL mm-hmm. Or as a, a quality um, AHL player that provide, right. um, you know, competition for your more promising prospects, or they're just flat out a long shot. You know, they weren't right. drafted for a reason. They've kind of all of a sudden had a good season or two and have shown something, but they're a long shot. So, uh, Drew O'Connor fits into which one of those three? Um, probably the late. middle tier. I, I don't. Yeah, he, I think he's a late bloomer. But the thing to remember, and we throw that term around, and in college we. The late bloomer is the norm. You know, it, it, the the players who get drafted, there are far more players who don't get drafted than there are players who get drafted. So it, it's not crazy to see a player just really kind of come into his own at the age of 20 and 21, especially once he gets challenged. Um, you know, he's playing a style, a brand of hockey that suits him a little bit better. And I, the, 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 some of the other players on this list are other guys who, who are similarly late bloomers. But for, for me, if it's a player like Mark Michaelis, for example, um, not to get too far ahead of where we're heading in the conversation, but Mark Michaelis is a player who, you know, he, he's 25 or he will be 25, you know, in the middle of July. That to me is a red flag really for anybody who's putting together a fantasy roster or even an NHL roster. I, I was surprised to see him such a hot commodity given his advanced stage for Drew O'Connor to be putting up numbers in a league that I would say is better than the league that Mark Michaelis played in, um, in the, in the WCHA, um, to be putting those up at, you know, at four years younger, to me is a sign that I, I'd much rather take a flyer on him than Mark Michaelis necessarily from a fantasy perspective. All right. So yeah. that's that's fantastic information. So Mark Michaelis would be a player that a lot of people going into their fantasy drafts will have heard mm-hmm. about. Um, there's been a lot of uh, pen put to paper on this player as a, as a college free agent signee and not so much with Drew O'Connor, but you're saying yeah. it should be the other way around. That's, well, I mean, he's... That's awesome. he, yeah, I mean, he's 25, right? If he were, and he's playing, you know, the thing about the WCHA is that it is a strong league, but it has the same problem the ECAC does, where the top couple teams are quite good, but the bottom half of that league is not very good. Uh, with Mark Michaelis, the thing that stood out the most uh, was that he did produce when, when Minnesota State played out of its league and they played the North Dakotas in Duluth. He did produce, um, and he was a player who probably could have signed a, signed a pro contract last season. A lot of the older Minnesota State players opted to return for their junior and senior seasons, frankly, just because they wanted to, they wanted to win together. They had, for the previous few seasons, they had had kind of a disappointing run in the NCAA tournament, um, and they wanted a chance to win a championship together. And they were one of the teams that people were kind of uh, most uh, teams that people felt the worst for with the cancellations because they looked like you know they had a real shot to win a national championship. All right. Another mm-hmm. thing about Mark Michaelis that kind of jumps out at me, I'd like to get mm-hmm. your thoughts on is. 
Um, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily a late bloomer because he's been a consistent producer throughout his four years of college hockey. It's not like Mm -hmm. he had like, you know, 10, 10, 20, 40 points. He's been 36, 40, 42, 44 uh, and captain for the last two seasons Mm -hmm. uh, in his college career. So, you know, that that kind of carries some weight, does it not? Oh, no, it certainly does. And then that's what I said, like where I'm not. You know, the to praise Drew O'Connor, I am not saying in saying that I would be higher on Drew O'Connor is not to say that I don't like Mark McKillis as a player. Um, if, if that makes sense, it kind of more of looking at the situation and just saying it, it, I think he's getting a little bit more praise because Minnesota is in the name of the school that he plays for. And the assumption, of course, is that, well, it's Minnesota, so it's great in terms of the league that he plays in, and it is a good league. Uh, but it's no better than the league that Drew O'Connor uh, played in. And again, he did it in fewer games because of the Ivy League schedule. Um, and he generated the offense that he did. Um, but with Mark Michaelis, I mean, it's he, he's a player that I'm whenever a player is that old in college hockey, there is always a lot of conversation about them coming out. And I'm always just very skeptical of players who are still in college hockey at that age. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, hey, but I, I don't want to criticize him for completing his education and oh, getting his, his college yeah. degree so let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's the reason why he hasn't signed um it was I, it was a, i know what like i know it was a big reason even connor Mackey, who we're going to talk about he was a player who had um teams after him last year and he, him and his you know his boys they wanted a chance to prove it excellent segue joe uh that is the very next player on the list <laughs> that i want to talk about connor Mackey is the player that frank saravelli ranked as the top uh, free agent player available. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a defenseman signed by the Calgary Flames. Um, uh, we talked a little bit just before we were recording, and uh, he's one of the players that you think can make an impact in the NHL uh, out of this class. Uh, tell me a little bit of what you think his uh, upside could be. I th- he, he has some offensive upside. I think at the NHL, he's going to have a hard time being a true offensive defenseman. Just when we think of a player like that in the National Hockey League, guys are putting up 40, 50 points a year in the NHL now. Um, I don't think that's where Connor Mackey lies, but Connor Mackey's going to play kind of minutes in kind of your bottom four um, for the Flames. From what I understand, part of the reason he signed with them was there weren't necessarily guarantees that he would be able to jump right in and play, uh, but he would he'd get the benefit of the doubt. You know, he would get an opportunity to compete for NHL minutes. He does everything pretty well. Um, he generated offense at Minnesota State. He probably he didn't need to be as involved offensively just because of how how good that team was and their overall depth. So I think his offensive numbers aren't even being pretty good. could have been even better if they needed to be, um, if that makes sense. But he kind of, he does everything, he does everything very well for a college player moving up to the next level. I think his defensive instincts, defensive ability will get him in the lineup immediately. And I think over time you'll start to, you know, once his, you know, once his brain catches up to the speed of the game, I think you'll see the offense come, but not to the degree that he's going to be running a power play. Uh, running a first power play anyway at the NHL level. Well, in order to determine if he could do that or not, you have to mm-hmm. look at what are the other options that the Flames have on the roster, and then right. we can extend this exercise to does he make the team or not. So under contract for next season on defense, they've got Giordano and, and Hannafin. So mm-hmm. there's two two options that are ahead of him on the depth chart. Uh, Rasmus Anderson is also under contract. TJ Brody's not, and he's been the hot member of trade rumors. He's an unrestricted free agent, so it's probably safe to say that Brody won't be back. Right. Um, other unrestricted free agents that they have, Hamannick, Forbert, and Gustafson, um, all four of those players might not return. 
Uh, Oliver Shillington is a restricted free agent and Rasmus Anderson has a really nice contract going forward. So, you know, there's potential for a roster spot to open up there. Now, there's a lot of, we're recording this on April 13th. There's a lot of time between now and whenever the NHL season is able to start again. And who knows Mm -hmm. what could happen in there. Um, He does have some other uh, competition coming from the minors as well. Colton right. Holman is a player that signed as a free agent, but mm-hmm. uh, between the between the two of them, Connor Mackey seems to be the head and shoulders above. From yeah. from what I've read, yeah, I mean he was hotter because he you know he's an underclassman and because he you know it. I'm I'm never going to doubt a kid who comes out of North Dakota and Colton. I mean he was a tremendous player for North Dakota for four years and he'll he'll de- I would be shocked if he didn't play in the NHL. I don't know that he's significantly worse than Mackey. I do think Connor Mackey is, I mean, Connor Mackey was a player who, you know, teams wanted to draft, you know, and he was draft eligible and they eventually just kind of decided on other folks. Um, but I would definitely keep an eye on Pullman as well. Not necessarily, you know, going after him immediately, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get minutes at some point in the NHL. I mean, North Dakota players are, you know, you don't play, you don't get to North Dakota by being a bad player, you know? Fair enough. Yeah, and and he played out, uh, Colton Pullman is a senior, he played out his four years, so he's a year older than Mm -hmm. Connor Mackey, but based on that little exercise looking at the Flames roster, um, I'm saying there's a chance that one of these guys could could make the opening night roster. Yeah, especially Mackey, I mean, he's just, I I remember hearing about him kind of in junior and being surprised that he was playing at Minnesota State just because he, you know, he could have played in a a higher, he could have played in a better league, from what I understand, if he wanted to, but you know, they've done a great job under Mike Hastings, just for, you know, coached a number of NHL players. They've done a great job of, 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 of attracting NHL talent. Right on. Uh, okay, so another player on this list. Uh, let's go uh, forward, and that is a bunch of defense. Um, Patrick Kotarenko signed with yes. the New York Rangers. Um, he signed out of uh, Michigan State as a yes. senior. So he's 21, but he played his four full years of mm-hmm. college. Uh, tell me a little bit about his style and his uh, his offensive upside. Yeah, I mean, he's, he was a player who came in. I want to say he was a little underage. I think he, he was either a late year or he accelerated because to be 21 only um, and already finished with four years of college hockey, I mean, obviously suggest that you were a bit different. But he, I mean, he scored a lot of off. He scored a lot of goals pretty quickly on not very good Michigan State team. Michigan State's been one of the uh, more disappointing programs really for the last seven, eight years. And they've, and he was someone who came right in and generated offense, good shot, good offensive instincts. Um, having what, when I was watching him play early on, I was surprised he wasn't a drafted player because he demonstrated that kind of uh, offensive ability really from the start. The numbers didn't jump off the page at the beginning. I want to say he had 18 or 19 points as a freshman. That's um, correct. Yeah, but it wasn't necessarily like like I mentioned, Michigan State at that point was not a very good team. But him uh, him playing next him playing next to Tara Hirose, who's obviously uh, spent some time with the the Red Wings now. I mean the the line that they had uh, with those two and uh, Lewandowski, who's Mitchell Lewandowski, uh, the, another highly regarded player at Michigan State. They were one of the best lines in college hockey on a bad team, and Kodarenko's uh, just the ability to kind of work with Hirose had a, had a lot to do with that. All right. Um, yeah, he's a point-of-game player for uh, three of his four seasons. He was mm-hmm. assistant captain in his final year, and he uh, he was one of the first players signed, and he's even uh, played a pro game. He was able to squeeze right. in an AHL game um, before the, the shutdown. Yes. Um, you see him playing in the AHL for the next season? Yeah, I, I, 
I, I definitely think there is an NHL, there is an NHL player in there somewhere. And I think a couple of a season in the AHL would certainly help him. Um, I'm not sure what the, I, I know the Rangers ha- have a relatively, they have some high end forward prospects, but I know Dave Quinn as well. And I know oh, that Dave Quinn loves young players and he certainly would give him a, give him a chance. Um, I'm sure Dave Quinn and the, the Rangers staff had a conversations with Dan Cole, the head coach out of Michigan state. Um, so he'll certainly get a look, and I think after a year in the HL, we might see an NHL player in there. I mean, he he's he he had success really from the start at Michigan State, so I didn't see why he wouldn't be able to, you know, make some noise uh, at the uh, AHL and eventually NHL level. Right, and hey, he's like you said, he's still 21. So even if right, one season kid. turns into two or three, I mean, mm-hmm. there's still plenty of tread left on the tire on his career. Um, right. So it could be a could be a longer term project, but you're saying there's some good upside on that file. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he just keeps getting better, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure when he came in, the biggest issue with him was defensive, and he got better at it. Michigan State, as a team, got much better defensively this year. Um, they still gave up far too many shots, in my opinion. Their goaltender had a very good season, but I noticed when I watched them that the, the grade A's were lower, and players like Kodorenko just growing up had a big part to do, a big a lot to do with that. Great. Okay. Uh, so one more uh, forward that I want to talk about before we uh, plow through the, the defensive free agents is uh umass mitchell chaffee 22 mm-hmm. year old right wing six foot 207 yeah um maybe regressed a little bit this year no he had, no, he no some, he's played less games yeah he he was hurt so he missed okay. um basically from the middle of january until their last game of the regular season he was hurt um and that really kind of set him back umass as a team um they they were a very good college hockey team this year, but when you take Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, two guys who played in the NHL right away, when you take them out of the lineup, the team's going to change a bit. Uh, so so Mitchell Chafee, he saw some of his numbers go down, and a lot of that was his power play production. His even strength production was just as good as last year. His power play production suffered a lot without Kale McCarr. Right on. Mm-hmm. And so he's a 22-year-old. And he mm-hmm. signed with the uh, Minnesota Wild. A little bit more opportunity, I would say, in the Wilds organization. Their uh, their prospect pool isn't quite as flush as some of the other teams. And, mm-hmm. uh, they do have a number of players under contract, though. So, I mean, this is someone who I would anticipate is, is going to have a little bit of AHL development time. Yeah, he, he'll need it. I mean, he, he needed development time when he got to UMass, but you, immediately you saw a player that could generate offense, uh, had an NHL shot, just really needed to work on some other parts of the game. Uh, his conditioning was an issue when he first got to UMass. That's not a problem anymore. Um, his skating was probably his biggest weakness, and he'll never be an elite skater at the NHL level, but he's gotten so much better at it. And he, you know, just, you know, I'm pretty close with the coaching staff at UMass. He got through it just by working. You know, he did everything he could to become a better skater while he was at Amherst, and he took advantage of it, especially uh, UMass plays on a bigger ice sheet, and he learned to take advantage of it. And I, I don't love the big ice sheet, but I think for a lot of kids who have a heart, who need work on their skating, it helps them a little bit just work on that. And the thing that I love about him from an NHL perspective is that he does the things that will get you into a lineup if you can't score a ton of goals. He kills. He killed penalties from day one at UMass. Uh, he's a very good defensive player. He's willing to block shots, and he plays bigger than he than you know his size would indicate. I want to say he's listed at like six feet two hundred something like that. He plays right. much. Yeah, he plays much bigger than that. He's a big hitter. Um, not a dirty player. When I say that, he's he's a player who will. 
I feel like coaches will love him and he will get an opportunity to prove himself in the bottom half of that wild lineup and, you know, become, um, you know, a guy who, who they want to have in the lineup uh, after. But he's, but with all that said, he's going to need some time in Iowa uh, to figure it out. That's something that I, that I look for when I'm, I use the term scouting loosely, when I'm scouting for <laughs> fan, fantasy hockey is, right. um, do they, do they do exactly what you just said there? Uh, things that the coaches love and that allows them to be played in a variety of situations, because you can look at two players and one player can have more, um, skill and offensive upside, but not get the same kind of ice time as player B who's got B level skill and they can produce the same, the same level because even mm-hmm. while, you know, he's, he's got limited, uh, uh, skills and offensive upside, he just gets more minutes uh, or he right. plays uh, higher on the lineup than he should. And he's playing with players um, like Zach Hyman. Um, he's, he's doing the the dirty work and, and, and retrieving the puck comparison. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just picking up points by osmosis and being on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that you mentioned that uh, I want to ask you about, that's a bit of a sidetrack tangent. Uh, there's a lot of leagues that have multi-cat categories and provide mm-hmm stats and points for hits and penalty minutes and block shots and all those greasy stats. That's yeah. something that I have a, a difficult time getting <laughs> quality information on out of college. Cause there's just, there is no fighting allowed in college hockey. <laughs> so you, you don't see these hundred point penalty minutes typically. Uh, right. And if you do, it's, it's actually a bit of a red flag. Like, does this guy have some, um, some, some control issues, <laughs> but they're taking a massive Certainly. amount of, of minor penalties. Uh, so is there anything you can tell me about what to look for, um, uh, or what's, how to anticipate that? Or is it just basically, you got to watch the games and tell if this player is, is a bangers and mash keeping Carlson, uh, kind of player. Um, I, th- from, from a statistical standpoint in college hockey, I don't think you're going to find anything. And a big part of that, you know, is that these are college athletic departments and in NCAA hockey, you certainly have some very, very rich athletic departments, but even amongst our kind of big time programs in NCAA hockey, a school like North Dakota or Minnesota Duluth, for example, while we think of them as big hockey programs, those are still relatively small athletic departments in terms of, you know, the overall NCAA landscape. So they don't have the resources, frankly, to have a really high-level stat department the way that a college football program might. You know, your your Michigans and Wisconsins of the world. You know, they have football programs that generate a lot of revenue and allow them to track statistics publicly in a way that makes more sense. For most athletic departments, you're looking at, you know, the sports information director and a couple interns, more often than not, who are students, uh, who might not necessarily be the best gauges um, of other kinds of stats. So keeping them focused on shots on goal and things like that is what makes the most sense. Um, Overall, I mean, I I think the biggest thing is just to watch games and ask people and you'll get an idea of it. And the other part of it is certain programs, you know, a program like UMass, they're going to have some high skilled players, but for the most part, if you're succeeding at UMass, you're succeeding by working, you know, they they can't go out and, you know, them having Kale McCarr on their roster was not the norm. You know what I mean? Um, he, 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 he was, you know, very much, a, um, an outlier for them. So a lot of time the program will tell you players who come from Duluth are going to be players like that. If you look at, you know, someone like Carson Coleman, who's gotten a lot of time at the NHL level, um, who's not necessarily a high school player. Well, it's because he does everything that coaches love as we were talking about in our last segment. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You're, you're putting a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the blur into focus for me when it comes to, <laughs> 
understanding college hockey prospects. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's switch up positions and talk mm-hmm. about uh, defensemen. I got three more defensemen on my list um, yep. that we want to talk about that are free agent signees. Um, San Jose Sharks, Boston Bruins, and Florida Panthers signed Brinson, Pashanak, Jack Ashan, and Alec uh, Rohauser. Um, let's start with Pashanak first. Mm-hmm. He's coming out of Arizona State, which is a fun story all on its own. Um, and he's, uh, that's right, right? Arizona State for him? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, good for me. Uh, <laughs> so he signed with the Sharks. Let's, let's talk a little bit about him. Uh, Arizona State... Off the radar, for sure. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of really good stories coming out of there, and, and he's certainly one of them. So, uh, offensive defenseman? Yeah, and he, he, his offensive ability is certainly there, but he is, he is just a very good player overall. He was a player who, when he committed to Arizona State, he was being discussed as, you know, someone who could get drafted. And scouts told him, you know, when you if you, you know, if, if that's where you go, we're not, you know, we're not going to be interested anymore because they had no track record. You know, of uh, of developing NHL players at that particular point, they didn't have track record of developing college hockey players at that point. It was, you know, that was his his four years at Arizona State are their first four years as a full Division One program. Um, but they've been one of the top fifteen teams in the country the last two seasons, and he's been a big part of it. Um, he's a player who probably could have gone to other schools. Um, I don't know that he's, you know, I certainly don't know the Sharks' defensive prospects quite to the depth that you do i'm sure he's going to play in the ahl and i'm sure he's going to play well in the ahl um i don't really have any reason to doubt him because i doubted him in that whole program for a year and a half and they kept proving me wrong every step of the way so he's someone to keep an eye on because he was he was he he if he had committed to a higher level program when he was 15 or 16 or 17 he probably would have gotten drafted in my opinion of the san jose sharks prospect pool is it's a shallow one there's uh, Ryan Merkley, and right. he's a an absolute wild card, um, and then everyone else. Yeah, and it's you know I mean a big part of that. I mean the Sharks obviously had some success. So they weren't you know they were they were trading draft picks so at different points. They were initially drafting at the top end of the first round, but um, you know they you know, they done a pretty good job with Mario Ferraro. I I, I try not to be too biased with my my fellow middlemen, <laughs> um, but he he was a player who I did not expect was going to be in the NHL. And I think he's had a pretty good season on a not great team. Um, all things considered for what he is. And I look at Pashanuk and I, I, like I said, if he, if, if he had, if he had committed to Denver or he had committed to Nebraska Omaha when he was, when he was 16 years old, like I said, he would have been drafted. So I, I would, he, he'll be an interesting one for fantasy owners. Yeah. Right on. Um, <laughs> He's only 22 as well, right? And yeah. and he played his senior year, so he played out four years at Arizona State. So he's mm-hmm. got his college degree in his pocket. He's six yep. feet 185. Yep. Uh, and there's opportunity on the roster. There's there's yeah. a spot there that he, if he's good enough, he could uh, play his way onto the opening night roster. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost a bunch of players to free agency. So depending on what they do there, uh, do you think that he could potentially be a roster player? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like that, right away? No, not right away. I I have a hard time saying that with really anybody uh, who's who's a free agent. And then part of that is just skepticism. I mean, how many guys have we we've seen walk into the NHL and have struggled? You know, and it's and I think a lot of that comes down to the, these players need time to figure it out, and they get thrown into the NHL, their confidence gets ruined. They go down to the AHL, they take it the wrong way, and their career's over. Um, but with, with Brinson, I know that he had a ton of penalty minutes when he was a junior, so I'm sure he dropped the gloves a few times when he was in Alberta. Um, 
I think he will very quickly find his way onto the good side of different, whoever coaches the Barracuda. Uh, he will certainly be a favorite out there pretty quickly. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so yeah, it's a big jump from from college to pro hockey. Um, it is. I imagine the jump from college to uh, and AHL would be a bigger jump than the AHL to the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, college life is you play on the weekends and you've got school and and practice and workout during the week. Uh, yep. It's not it's not a pro hockey schedule. The AHL is a little bit closer to that. They play predominantly right. on the weekends, right. so it would certainly uh, I think make for an easier transition to go from college to AHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Jack Sean is a player that I really like. Um, yep. I like his uh, I like his brother as well. Um, yeah. But I first noticed Jack at uh, Team USA World Junior Exhibition Game in Ontario. They played uh, in Oshawa, I think it was, and I'd never really heard of him. And this mm-hmm. is back in uh, 2016. And uh, I really liked what I saw, and I wasn't surprised when he made the team. Um, a little bit disappointed. His ice time was limited. He only put up one point in the tournament, and he was, for the most part, pretty invisible. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that's the most I've got to see him play. I managed to catch a couple games on TV, and when I do see him play, um, I, he reminds me of why I like him so much. Even though he's only 5'8", uh, I like how he plays a, a pretty strong physical game. And, uh, you know, he's he's got a decent amount of points and penalty minutes in his four years Um in college uh, and the Boston Bruins have signed him up and then seeing a little bit of comparison between him and, and uh, as a poor man, Tory Krug. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just speak to me about that. Uh, do you think he's got um, NHL upside? I do. I don't know. The, the easy assumption is Tory Krug because he's short and he's an offensive defenseman, but Tory is a much better goal scorer um, than he will be. You know, I know, don't know that he's going to, I mean, Tory Krug is one of the great college free agent signings really ever. Um, you know, when you, you kind of look at the last, you know, since 2005, 2006, he's been one of the best. So I don't, it's hard to immediately make that comparison. I would compare him more to Matt Grizzly uh, than I would to Tory Krug necessarily um, as, as far as the, his playing style. And I know that those players are similar, but not quite um, as similar, you know, as, or pardon me, Tory and Matt play a similar game, but I think Tory plays it at a much higher level. And I think Jack is much more like Matt. That I do think he's like Tory. He skates very well. He's a very good passer. He's, he's learned how to defend because of his size. He's learned how to defend with his feet and defend with his head. Right. He he defends by being in the right spot. He defends by anticipating. And the Bruins have done a really good job with college free agents overall. Um, whether it's whether it is Tory Krug, we've seen him. Um, we've seen him have success success with players like um, Nolachari player. I know Sean Corrali was a trade after being drafted by San Jose, but from what I understand, the Bruins were higher on him than San Jose was when that particular trade was made. Um, so I do think he'll get a chance, but I think just looking at the way that their roster breaks down, I don't know that he'll get in the NHL next season. Um, players like, you know, I don't love John Moore, but he's still under contract for next year. If Tory Krug were to leave, uh, they do have players like Connor Clifton, Kevin Miller, who just came out, he's going to get an, a contract after the season, even though he's been hurt for quite some time. So I don't know that, uh, I don't know that Jack, uh, is going to get NHL minutes right away, but I have no reason to believe he won't be in the NHL at some point and he might stick around. He's, he's good enough. Uh, if his development takes is the big question. Right, right. Um, is he a player that, uh, if he makes it to the NHL, will he have mm-hmm. fantasy value beyond 
point production because he's never been able to put double digit goals up on the mm-hmm. board in a season in the NCAA. So does he uh, does he provide some of those rotisserie category uh, stats as well, like hits and blocks? Uh, blocks, probably yes. Hits, no. That's um, not his game. He's certainly not afraid to do it. It's just, you know, he he learned at St. Cloud State how to be the best version of himself. Um, if that makes sense, he just, he's now he's not going to be a player who can bang. He's five foot eight. Um, you know, he probably weighs you know near two hundred pounds now. Um, hits and blocks are never going to hits necessarily will never be his thing. Um, so perhaps not for fantasy owners. It's hard for me at times to kind of uh, completely say, well, no, this player has no fantasy value when I like the player. You know, uh, I, I, I do like Jack a lot, but for until he's able to get on a power play, I don't think he'll have much fantasy value in the NHL. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, one last defenseman that's a free agent, and that is uh, Alec, I think it's Rohauser. Uh, mm-hmm. Florida, Florida Panthers uh, picked him up. He signed as a senior, graduating from Bowling Green State. He was their captain in the final year. He's big, mm-hmm. 6'3", 216, 25 years old, so he's a little bit on the older side. Yeah. Um, but he's been pretty consistent with his offensive output throughout his career. Uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, about Rohauser. He was a horse. I mean, he played big, big minutes for Bowling Green, really from the you know, kind of halfway through his freshman year uh, on. And he did kind of everything for them. And I know that he um, kind of tested the waters last year and he didn't really get much interest, you know, after his sophomore season. I mean, after his junior season. And I think people saw, you know, a nine, a nine goal, 30 point season as a sophomore. And they were, you know, anticipating that he was going to step right in and, you know, continue that big progression. And it took a step back his junior season so two years ago but that really only happened because as we were talking about Connor Mackey he didn't need to do as much that team was a lot better um they made the NCAA tournament for the first time I want to say in like 30 years in 2018 that 2018-19 they were a bubble team this year he started generating a lot more offense for me the red flag in terms of his long-term ability is his age you know he's 25 and nobody wanted him after his junior year but he just kept, he always generated offense, you know, and he did everything for them. He blocked shots. He played big minutes. You mentioned his size. He's not afraid to hit anybody. Um, I would, he'd be a player I'd be interested to take a flyer on because I think what goes, I, I think Florida will certainly give him a chance. And when people give Alec Rauhauser a chance, he usually takes advantage of it, as we saw, you know, in his four years of Bowling Green. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so like I said, I got a long, long list, and there's going to be players <laughs> who we can't talk about. Some of the yep. player, I, I, I like Penn State. I subscribe to the uh, Big Ten Network, so I most of the college hockey I watch is uh, is Penn State games, and they uh-huh. got a couple guys, Nate Susi and Brendan Biro, uh, that I like that have signed. Their yep. goalie as well hasn't signed yet, but I like him too. Uh, Cam Lee, Dawson DiPietro. So we're aware of these players, and I want to talk about them, but uh, uh-huh. I only got I don't have Joe all day. So I'm going to move on from uh, from college uh, free agent signings to mm-hmm. uh, college draft pick signings. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it should really start to get uh, pretty juicy. And yeah. the first player I want to talk about is someone who you uh, tipped your hat to me before we got on. Mm-hmm. Um, and where did I write his name down? John Leonard. There it yes. is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about John Leonard, because I think this is the kind of player that people are going to be listening to this podcast are going to learn about. Yeah, so John was a player. Um, he's he's from Amherst, Massachusetts. His father was actually a basketball coach uh, of UMass's basketball program. So he he wanted to play for UMass since he was a little boy. And that there aren't many kids in Western Mass who have that hope and are that good. 
So because he decided to go to UMass so young, I feel like a lot of people kind of started to overlook him. Um, I know he had a chance to play for the National Development Program, and he didn't make it. He struggled a lot in his first year in the USHL. Um, he was a player who I think a lot of people kind of got tired of when he was younger. I, I know that he had some, you know, he had some behavioral problems. I think he, and by that, I don't mean he was out breaking the law, but I think he just had a hard time adjusting to junior hockey. So he kind of fell under the radar as an 18 year old. He gets to UMass and he just started scoring. Uh, he became the player that people thought he was going to be in this past season at UMass on a team that, you know, like I said, didn't have kill and didn't have Mario Ferraro lost some other pieces. He was, I, for my money, he was the best forward in college hockey this year. Um, I thought he was dominant. Um, he, in the second half of the season, he scored, I mean, he had consecutive games with hat tricks. Four of the six goals would have been top 10 plays on sports center. If ESPN paid attention to hockey, he generated offense um, really but on his own. I mean, the amount of unassisted goals he scored just by, dom- by being better than everybody else. We saw a dominant player. And for me, when I get asked about college prospects, the first thing I think of is, was this player dominant? Because if a player isn't dominant at the college level, I have a hard time thinking he's going to be able to even succeed at the, at the NHL level. And John, I thought, was a truly dominant forward. And the thing for me that really stuck out and made me think he might actually truly have a, you know, an immediate NHL future was he became a great penalty killer this year. He was a player who blocked shots. When he, his freshman, sophomore year, he was never going to be a player who was going to see time on the penalty kill. Um, he was never going to be a player who was going to be out there in the final few minutes of games. There were overtimes as a freshman where they needed a goal, but they wouldn't put him on the ice because they didn't. They he wasn't trustworthy. Um, all of that changed this year. We saw a player develop. We saw a player grow up. And from everything I've been told, the the plan for the Sharks was for him to go right to the NHL when UMass the season was over this year. Uh, so I he's a player that I would certainly have on my eye on if uh, I will have my eye on him in my fantasy league next year. Um, I think he might be an interesting one for players because he, he scores. He was the best forward in college hockey this year, in my opinion. I had him number three on my Hobie Baker ballot. Wow, that's pretty solid, man. I mean, that's yeah. that's great fantasy hockey intel. I mean, this is a great yeah. sleeper pick. He, yeah, he was drafted, but mm-hmm. a six round, 182nd overall, way off the radar. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, I've not really heard of this player, but I look at his stat line, and ever since he's been in college, he has been right around the point of game. Point, mm-hmm. And this season he eclipsed it, thirty-seven and thirty-three. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean he's he's got average size, five eleven, one eighty-five, and in the past that would have been a bit of a concern, but not yeah. really anymore. Uh, I love the fact that you're telling me that he's killing penalties. He can play in all situations, and he's just dominating the play. Right. Um. And he did it by get by getting better, right? And to me that that's a good sign, kind of trying to project moving forward. Was the biggest thing holding him back, it seemed like, was his head. And he got it on straight when he got to UMass. And he's just, I mean, he he, he became a dream for the coaching staff. Again, I'm, I'm close with this coaching staff, so I know I know these players well. Um, and he they, they raved about him all year when there were times his freshman, sophomore year, where they didn't rave about him. Even when he was scoring goals, he drove him crazy at times. And all of that changed this season. Yeah, two episodes ago, I had Craig Button on, and one of the things mm-hmm. we talked about was uh, he asked me about Zade Wisdom, and I said the coaches just can't play him enough. And he said, "Isn't right. that one of the best indicators um, mm-hmm. about a player?" Is I mean, you could talk to, you can watch them on the ice, and you can talk to the coaches and interview them, but nothing speaks more volume than the coach's deployment of that player and what right. kind of ice time they give him. So, uh, okay, and John. Yeah, that's John Leonard, everybody. San Jose Sharks prospect. Put him on your uh, fantasy radar if he's not already. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, so Joe, let's talk about the next guy. I guess, well, geez, we got to talk about Scott Perunovich, right? He just won the Hobie Baker <laughs> Award like last night or whenever it was. Yeah. Uh, okay, so apparently he's good. <laughs> Scott Perunovich is, um, I would compare him to Shane Gossespierre, is probably the best comparison in college. Um, generated a lot of offense really from the start. I mean, Minnesota Duluth has become, you know, the, the Cadillac of college hockey programs in the last few years. And he's been a big part of it. He's a horse for them. Um, and again, we talked about it with John Leonard last segment. He got better, right? He was a player who even as a defenseman, when he was a freshman was never going to see, you know, kind of those key moments at the end of games when you were trying to protect the lead. A lot of that had to do with Minnesota Duluth's depth, you know, their decor has been loaded over the last few seasons, but he's been a big part of that. And we saw him grow up, grow up this year. I thought he was the best player in college hockey. Um, when you're looking, when you're trying to vote for awards like this, the the numbers for all these players are going to be equally marvelous. You know, you're going to have big goal totals for forwards, big assist totals for defensemen. For Scott, it was about the eye test. He just blows your mind when you watch him. He makes plays that are so intuitive. He's smarter than everybody else. Um, and, you, and again, you saw him get better. Um, at other moments, frankly, I, when I was watching the blues power play struggle, as much as it was, you know, two rounds before they won the Stanley cup, I was wondering why he wasn't out there, uh, after last season ended, uh, because he's just, he is a power play wizard for Minnesota Duluth. And I'm sure he will be at the next level. I, uh, in a lot of leagues, I would certainly imagine he's already on, he's already been drafted for some people. Um, and I would certainly take a run on him because he's, he's going to generate offense. He's, he's such a fun player. Something that um, it's kind of jumping out at me on his Elite Prospects page is his goal totals are very low. I mean, he's yeah. got 40 points this season, but only six goals. And he only scored mm-hmm. three goals uh, the season before. Right. Um, what's going on there? I mean, a lot of it just has to do with the way that that power play runs. You know, they, they are, Minnesota Duluth is a very blue-collar team, and he is not. When you watch Minnesota Duluth, you, 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 you see a lot of good hockey players. But he is kind of a, he's an outlier on that team where he is just, he is all about his skill. He's very much pass first. And I know they wanted him to shoot more has been kind of a frustration point with him um, at times. You know, they, they would like to see him shoot the puck more than he does. But part of it is, you know, he just, he's a really good passer, you know, and he, he, he took games over without scoring goals. And, you know, that's kind of the difference, I guess, between for just a general way to look at judging college hockey defensemen. The reason a player like Kale McCarr last year, was so highly regarded was he had the biggest assist total, but he also had a, you know a huge goal total. It demonstrated the just the, the degree to which he dominated college hockey um, last season. Skarpunovich wasn't quite at that level, but you watched him just outthink players, um, get better. Like I said, defending with his feet, defending with his head, and on the power play, he probably could could have scored more in a slightly different system. Um, but Minnesota Duluth wants him to be. You know, they want him making plays with the puck and defining offense for other guys, just the way that that power play runs. It's kind of been like that for the last few years. And for them, I know that I would, I would imagine sometimes scouts look at some of their players and say, well, you know, why isn't his, his offense there? But I mean, these teams keep winning. Um, so they're not going to change anything in Duluth for a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay. So Scott Perunovich, he's saying you're surprised that you didn't see him in the blues roster in their playoff run last year. It was um, kind of a joke more than anything. Cause their power right. play, was struggling as bad as it was, you know, obviously it ended up working out for them yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the end, but their power play for, through the first couple of rounds was quite bad. And I know that Scott was, he was drafted a year late. Um, so it was definitely, uh, he was drafted a year late. So I thought they might just sign him after, um, you know, he won a second national championship. He doesn't have anything else to prove, but you know, one more year in college hockey did some good for him. Um, and I, I don't see why the blues wouldn't, you know, 
they've you know he's signed, so they're 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 going to put him in positions to to succeed in the power play. Certainly, where he does his best work. You think that'll be in the NHL? I think right away. He, he's a second round pick. He he dominated the way that he did. Um, trying to think of the Blues, the way you know the, the way that the Blues play, I suppose could be a hurdle uh, for him in, at the beginning. But I think his talent will be such that you know you can't help but have him out there. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so if basically the bottom line is, if you own Scott Perunovich already, keep him. You're about yep. to get you're about to get uh, rewarded <laughs> for your patience. Uh, yes. And if he's available, go out and grab him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I talked about Penn State a second ago. Uh, they've got a, a couple of players that signed as free agents that I like. Um, the most interesting player there, though, has got to be Evan Barrett, Chicago yeah. Blackhawks prospect. Had a breakout season last year where he was a Hobie finalist, I think. He had 43 points in 32 games. Uh, mm-hmm. A real monster season, uh, the dominating variety, as you would say. Um, made USA World Junior uh, roster and then went back for his um, junior season at Penn State and mm-hmm. rest a little bit. I mean, he still scored a point a game, 34 points, yeah. 34 games. So it's not like he went and crapped the bed. But um, does that have anything to do with... I mean, Penn State got a little bit better this year than than they were last year too. So, so I find so, his his point production to be really um, a bit of a head scratcher. So that's what I was going to say. You mentioned their goalie um, when we were you were talking about them a minute ago, and you would never have mentioned their goalie a year ago. Um, Penn State played up until this season the most aggressive brand of hockey I've ever seen played at a high level. Uh, it was all about you know, just being very aggressive on puck carriers, the forecheck, really, you know, any, if it was your guy, your, your job was to make him move the puck and make him do it uncomfortably. They did. They didn't hit a lot. They, they never finished their checks as a rule, not because they're, you know, scared to do it. It's just as a rule. You don't finish your check. We want you in the play. We want, we want you pressuring puck carriers. And I think in a way, sometimes it may, it made them a little bit worse defensively. They generated a lot of offense. Um, but they struggled badly to defend against teams who could who could beat that. You know, when you watched your NCAA tournament exits uh, in the previous two seasons, it was against teams that were structurally sound and it didn't bother them that they were getting skated at the way that they were. So Evan Barrett's offense went, took a step down this year because they, as a team, got a little bit more defensively responsible. They still shoot the shoot the lights up. They shoot the puck. As soon as you get into the zone, you are to shoot the puck. That is the way their system works. His shot total went up this year by. 10 or 20, something like that, um, considerably. So he was still shooting the puck, but they became a much better defensive team this year. Um, and I think you saw some of their some of their production go down a little bit. I don't know that I... I Chicago's kind of weird right now, right, with their NHL roster in terms of how you're kind of gauging what the bottom of half of it's going to look like. I know Evan Barrett's good enough. I would imagine we'll see him in the AHL for a bit of time, but I'd certainly keep my eye on him. He... I mean, he, he was one of the best forwards in college hockey his three years there. Yeah, he and Dylan Sakura have uh, been some of their top prospects for the last couple of years now. And Sakura yeah. has been, uh, I mean, he has had a prolific college career. And he's mm-hmm. been kind of struggling in the transition to the pro level. Yeah. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, it's up to Barrett to, to make it. But if I were Chicago, the lessons I learned from Sakura would be, let's let's not try and force anything here. Let's yeah, Let's just and- see how he does. And Chicago's done that with a few NHL players. They've, I mean, a few college players they've done over the years. Um, you know, I think the big thing is that to keep in mind when, you know, with, with Dylan Sakura, 
looking at his statistics and like with, I was never quite as hot on him as a lot of other people in Boston were when he was at Northeastern. And when I say that, I mean, as an NHL prospect, he was a dominant college player, no doubt, but he became a dominant college hockey player when Adam Gaudet got there. And to me, when you, you kind of have to look at those relationships when you're judging college players is, you know, when, when you have one truly dominant player on the ice, he's going to make everybody two or three steps better. He just is because of the amount of just mental resources the opposition has to dedicate to stopping this person. Um, I like Dylan as a kid. I think Dylan is, for the most part, just going to be an AHL player. Um, I don't uh, necessarily think that he's, you know, he's, he's been there. He's been the, been she, this is, this is year three, I think, for him uh, with the Blackhawks, and he has one goal, you know. But Evan Barrett, to me, is a little bit more of a sure thing. Just, you know, based on the eye test, if nothing else, Dylan was so reliant on Adam Gaudet to really become a breakout player in college hockey. That is interesting. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpack there, but so many other yeah. players to talk about. Um, That's the, the biggest thing, I guess, in, like, in, we're trying to talk about players, but the biggest thing for trying to understand college players is watch. Don't just look at their numbers. Try to figure out the context. Because w- when you put a player like Adam Gaudet where we talked about Kill Makar, you put those on a mid-level team, they become amazing. You know, and a lot of that has to do with the players just having a lot more ice than they did the year before. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I have guests like you on, guys that watch the <laughs> games, because um, there's a lot of college teams, and there's a lot of junior teams, and it's a big, big world, and there's a lot of hockey to watch, and uh, I don't watch as much college hockey, or I'm not able to watch as much as, I, as I'd like. Uh, mm-hmm. let's move on. Next guy on the list. Uh, I kind of want to touch on Dylan Sandberg. Uh, yeah. Winni- Winnipeg Jets, second round pick from 2017. Um, made the USA World Junior Team twice. So yep. a lot of people should be pretty familiar with this player. Uh, he's got a pretty good, uh, offensive upside. He's, uh, he's a big kid too, 6'4", 216. So he's got a lot of elements to his game that I think should translate real smoothly to the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what have you seen from watching him play? He's – so the thing about him is he's never going to score a lot, right? He's never going to generate a ton of offense. Last year he had a kind of an inflated goal total in his sophomore year. I think he just got a bunch of – just a bunch of pucks went in for him you know, the, the, the way that they can for defensemen sometimes. But with that said, he's going to play. Dylan Sundberg is a coach's dream as a player. I would kind of compare him to a more mobile Brandon Carlo uh, as the, probably the best comparison that I could make for him. Uh, they were both second-round picks. They're both big bodies. They both defend really well. Um, he was kind of on the shutdown pair for Minnesota Duluth, whereas they kind of deployed Perunovic in a way that would allow him to generate offense, and Sandberg was the guy that they threw out there to kind of quiet things down when they needed to. Um, and he was good enough to do that really his whole time. The player that he kind of, the, the role that he inherited was that of Mikey Anderson, uh, who's, who's with the Kings now um, in his time in Minnesota Duluth. So I don't know that he's going to have a ton of fantasy value because the offense might not be there, but he's going to play for the Jets. You know, they, I think they're going to like him a lot. I just don't know that he's ever going to put a ton of offense up. Um, he, he, he generated a lot of offense in, the, in college, but I just don't know if it's going to be there at the pro level. Right. Well, I mean, hey, that's okay if you're in a pool like some of the ones that I'm in that are these Roto head-to-heads because uh, I think he's going to be in the NHL sooner yes. than later. There's a, a big window of opportunity with the Jets' blue line. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, even though he might not be on the first power play unit, um, I think he's still going to get some points 
just mm-hmm. by being on the ice as much as he should be. And, and he's good. Uh, they're going to have the puck. You know, when he's on the right. ice, they're going to have the puck. And I... I I I love this player. Truly, his his time at Duluth, he was he was one of one of the best defensemen, really, from the middle of his freshman year on. All right, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's, he's got the opportunity for uh, for some greasy stats too. A lot of blocks, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, let's talk about another defenseman that might be a little bit similar. Uh, Buffalo Sabers prospect, uh, Big Matthias Samuelson. I own him in my league, so I'm really curious to think what you think his upside is. If he were four inches shorter, he wouldn't have been drafted. And players like that, for me, if his size is the reason everyone loves him, then I'm kind of skeptical. You know, if if, if 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 your best quality is your size, then I don't know that. Then, then I tend to think you're a little overrated. Um, he's a he's a good hockey player. He he def he put up more offense than I thought he would over his time. But I think of him more as a defensive, as a defense first player and defense first players to me aren't or defense first defenseman usually just means you aren't very mobile. And that to me means you might have a hard time playing in the NHL the way that it works now. I've never been as high on him as other folks were. I think he had a lot of things going for him that made him so highly regarded, whether it was his bloodlines um, and his size. And, you know, because of that, I become skeptical and I never saw anything uh, in his time at Western Michigan that told me he was really going to be a, a really, he told me he was going to be able to be, you know, anything more than kind of a bottom pairing defenseman. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have fantasy value, right? You talked about, um, you know, pits and blocks and things like that. I think that's where he will, that's where he will have value. I guess I was just never as high on him as some other folks were. I think part of the reason his numbers took off this year is he was playing with Ronnie Adder, the uh, the Red Wings draft pick, or the, uh, pardon me, the Flyers draft pick. Um, who's one of the best freshman defensemen in the country this year. Joe, I don't really like what you're telling me here. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I have a, I watched players like Johnny Gaudreau get disregarded for so long because they were small. Um, within four games of his college career, I said, why on earth wasn't this kid a first-round draft pick? And the other side of that is you watch players, whether it was Tyler Biggs, however many years ago, um, or, uh, the kid on Duluth, Riley Tufty. You know, if when a when a kid's best asset is his size, I'm skeptical. It matters less and less uh, every year as well yeah. in the NHL. Like it's just mm-hmm. not as big a factor. Uh, okay, so you mentioned the Philadelphia Flyers. That's a nice segue. I got two players from the Flyers that we can touch on. Um, Tanner Lazinski mm-hmm. has got uh, a lot of good ink written about him, and uh, Wade Allison has also yeah. had some some pretty impressive. Uh, offensive productions in his college career. Mm-hmm. Uh, both these guys have signed and are turning pro. Um, Lozinski was a junior and Wade Allison played all four years. Um, what do you like so, about yeah. their their NHL potential? Um, so the, the, the issue with Wade Allison, if he's healthy, he's going to play. His biggest issue, and it's, it's sad, is he's just never been able to stay on the ice in his time at, at Western Michigan. Uh, one injury after another. And, you know, at, at a certain point, health becomes a skill, right? If, if you're not on the ice, it, if you're just never healthy, it's going to be used against you. And he was a player who I think he played, a, his freshman year was the only year he played a full season. Um, and because of that, his numbers were never that great. But when he was on the ice, you saw the player that he could have been. Um, he was one of the best freshmen in the country. And uh, in, in the 2016-17 season, Western Michigan was an NCAA tournament team that year. And then in his sophomore year, he was one of the best players in the country, but he only played 20 games. Um, 
he, I think, I know he scored 15 goals. I don't forget what his assists look like, but he only played 21, 22 games and he had 15 goals. That's a good sign. If he's healthy, he's going to play in the NHL. Um, but for him, he's just never been able to stay healthy. And then Turner Lazinski was a player who I'm, I want to see him at the next level because Ohio State plays a very, Ohio State plays a very defensive style of hockey. They play the brand of hockey that allows them to win. I think it kind of suffocates some of the the uh, the artistry of players like Tanner Rosinski at times. Um, I know he's he's a bigger kid, but he definitely has some skill. He can move the puck well. Um, so I want to see him play in the AHL for a bit and see his offense come up because I think he he did a very good job of playing the system he was instructed to play. And Ohio State was a good team. Uh, obviously, in his time there, so it, it worked out. But I, I, I want to see him in the AHL for, but just to see, you know, kind of what he can do because I know that there's a lot more offensive upside than he was allowed to reveal at Ohio State. Interesting. Um, so, if you had to pick one of the two of them to have a, a, a more immediate NHL impact, which one would you lean towards? <sighs> Allison, as a player, is ready to play in the NHL. The issue is his health, as I said. Um, so I'd pick him just because the ceiling is so high. Um, with Lazinski, I know like health has never really been an issue for him. He had some injury problems as a junior, but nothing that was in, prior previously or after that. But I think with Allison, if he's healthy, he can piece. If Wade Allison, the best version of Wade Allison is an NHL All-Star. But I just don't know if he's ever going to be allowed to reach that because of his injury problems. Yeah, I was at a, a game in, in Peterborough watching uh, the 67s, and I was talking to an NHL scout about um, Travis Konechny. And mm -hmm. I was kind of, yeah, they don't, and this is his draft eligible year. So NHL scouts don't like to talk about draft eligible players. And if they do, it's probably misinformation. Um, <laughs> so I was doing most of the talking um, and telling him what I liked about him and, and how impressive I was and, and citing some examples of things that I've seen him do. And he says, yes, that's all fine and great, but he's so injury prone. And he, he, he doesn't have that a skill of staying healthy. Like, you know, we've talked about a couple of times in this interview, he just, he'll throw himself into, into traffic and, and with reckless abandon. Um, yeah. So he's like, he's not even on our, our players to, to draft list. And that makes sense. Like it had, like it's worked out for Travis. That guy was wrong, but at the same time, like that was a fair, that was a fair criticism at the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was blowing shoulders out left, right and center. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Joe, uh, I got to wrap this up. Uh, still got so many players I want to talk about, but you've been really generous with your time and your insight has been fantastic. Um, all right, so I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to ask you about uh, David Cotton. I own him in my fantasy league. He's yeah. finally finished his college career. He signed. Uh, Carolina signed his brother, Jason. Um, mm -hmm. They had similar point totals playing for different teams. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the Cotton brothers. Um. So David Cotton was a player that I, I liked from the moment I saw him. It took him a year and a half in college hockey to learn how to be six, to be as big as he is playing in college hockey. But as soon as he kind of got comfortable with his body, you know, he learned how to use it as a weapon and he became one of the best forwards on the country. He was just as good last year as he was this year, but no one talked about him because Boston College wasn't quite as good um, to, in 2018-19 as they were this past season. Um he didn't play with any of you know, the kind of high-level freshmen, so it wasn't like he was necessarily benefiting from them. Um, he was on a line with uh, another senior in uh, Logan Hutsko, I think, as a Panthers pick. He, he, David Cotton's going to play in the NHL. I don't know that he's going to be an NHL star, but I look at him as someone who's going to play in the NHL, can do everything. He's a really good penalty killer. Um, he's, a, he's a big forward who's best. We talked about players. If, you're, if your best 
Um, if your best skill is your size, I'm skeptical. His best skill is his skating um, and his shot. He's a, he's a great player um, all around. And the Canes like him a lot, from what I understand. He's going to get a chance to play in the National Hockey League, and I think he'll do very well. His brother, Jason, is an example of a player who was probably too good to be playing in the league that he was playing in. Atlantic hockey is by far the worst of the six conferences in college hockey. Um, it's, you know, it's a lot of small schools up until the last couple of years. They, you know, they had fewer scholarships that they could give out. It's, you know, there are very few players have gone from Atlantic hockey to uh, succeed in the NHL. I think the best example is probably Chris Tanev, um, who went right from a freshman year at RIT to playing uh, for the Canucks at the time. There's real with Jason Cotton. He, he was the best player in that league this year, but I don't know how much that is saying. His freshman year, he was at Northeastern, which is in hockey, East, the same league that Boston College plays in. And he transferred because he wasn't getting any time on the ice. So I don't know that he's much more than a sweetener for David Cotton to sign. And a, and a nice flyer, right? Because if he if he is as good as his brother, which, again, I don't think he is, um, then it's worth it. But he's he's 25, and it took him to be 25 to really have a season that, that turns goats heads. Yeah, thankfully we were able to squeeze in uh, the Beanpot tournament this year, and God bless TSN mm-hmm. for for broadcasting it. So I was able to I was able to watch all all the games that they broadcast. So just a couple, um, mm-hmm. but uh, man, David Cotton is the straw stir in the drink with Boston College, is he not? Like pretty he much, is. pretty much, he's in on everything they score. He had something he, to do with it. I mean, yeah, I think he was getting points from the bench. Yeah, <laughs> him and he's just so dominant. Yeah, they're the biggest thing for those two teams. Him and, and Alex Newhook, obviously, the, the first-round pick of the Avalanche last summer. Those were their two best players, hands down. And, you know, they, they were a good team beyond that, but those two were just so good for them all season long. Right. All right, so let's wrap this up, Joe. We've got the big names that I haven't really even touched on yet. Ian Mitchell signed, um, I think, officially last night. Uh, Keon mm-hmm. Miller, New York Rangers, Trevor Zegras, Alex Turcott. Uh, these are all high prominent profile players. Hopefully, if you listen to this podcast, you're you're really familiar with with all those names, um, and you're not going to really learn anything from them by listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're looking for the hidden gems, guys like uh, John Leonard. Yep. Yeah. I, one more name, if I can throw it out there. Oh, um, please do. Trevor Zegers' teammate, Patrick Harper. Um, Patrick Harper near. No one has ever revealed what happened, but at halfway through his sophomore season, he fell ill and his life was in jeopardy for a little while. He got very, very sick, very, very, very quickly, missed basically that whole season, came back for the next year. It took him a little while to come through. He is, you know, he, he's a coach's dream. He did everything for BU this year. If he was able to play four healthy seasons of college hockey, he would have been a Hobie Baker candidate. He was awesome for them. Um, he's creative. He's, he's a little small. I think he's listed at five, seven. I think he's actually a little taller than that. Um, but he's, I, I adore him. I think the predators will give him a chance. Um, it might take him a little while in the AHL, but he's certainly a player to keep an eye on. He was every bit as good uh, for BU as Igris was. Yeah. I, I liked what I saw from him at the bean pot too. And, uh, mm-hmm. Um, I don't watch a lot of college hockey, but I got a Boston Terrier, so so BU is is my my favorite <laughs> team. So it's easy for me to to cheer for him, and and therein and enters some some bias when it comes to fantasy drafting too. Uh, <laughs> but I like hearing uh, positive things about players who are kind of on my watch list. Um, it reassures me that I'm that I'm on the right track with these guys. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Ian Mitchell. Uh, he just signed last night. Some, yep. some people on Twitter were really asking me to to talk to you about him. So uh, just a final thought on, on Ian Mitchell. 
Uh, he, I mean, Ian Mitchell's awesome. <laughs> I wish, I mean, I, Ian Mitchell was a player who the second he got to Denver was one of the best players, one of the best defensemen in the country. His numbers this year, because of the way they were using him, you know, he was, he, he was playing against other teams, best players. Denver has all the, Denver has enough scoring outside of him that he could really focus on just making sure that, making sure that their defensive zone was clean and he did it. Um, he, he's going to play for the Blackhawks and he's going to play right away. Uh, high high skill for a defenseman. Again, in a different system, he probably would have put up a bit more offense. Denver, like Duluth, um, is very, very defensive-minded. Um, he's going to play for the Blackhawks, and he's going to play big minutes, and I think he's going to get power play time. I would be very high on him. Uh, pretty, yeah, without question. Right on, right on. <laughs> Still so many players that we could talk about, but not enough hours in a podcast. Uh <laughs> All right, so again, this has been uh, Joe Maloney from uh, College Hockey News giving all of the juicy fantasy hockey goods on the players who will be uh, playing pro next year coming out of the NCAA. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for um, spending some time with me on the podcast and really teaching me a lot about uh, my fantasy hockey preparation and everyone who's, who's listening to this podcast and subscribing and downloading, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the rink.